the History Channel original podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It was the newest thing in health and wellness in the late 19th century. Ailing Americans flocked to the Battle Creek Sanitarium in central Michigan. They enjoyed rest, exercise, fresh air, and some interesting experimental therapies. From vibrating chairs to Swedish massage tables, hot air baths, slapping machines, and daily yogurt enemas. Don't ask. The sanitarium was the brainchild of an eccentric doctor named John Harvey Kellogg. You recognize his last name because Dr. Kellogg's innovative ideas didn't stop with slapping machines and Swedish massages. Kellogg, along with his brother Will, invented something far more significant in Battle Creek, a product that would forever change how millions of Americans start their day. I'm Sean Braswell, and this is the food that built America. Today, the first of two episodes on the three kings of cereal. Will Kellogg founded the Kellogg Company with his brother John Harvey's recipes. It's worth more than $20 billion today. C.W. Post was their former assistant, and he founded what would become the massive General Foods Corporation, now part of the multi-billion dollar Kraft Empire. Cold cereal didn't really exist before Post and the Kellogg brothers. It's now the most popular breakfast food in America. The story of the modern American breakfast is the story of these three men and the remarkable, if eccentric, small town in which they got their start. Our tale begins in the office of a singular American doctor. John Harvey Kellogg was five foot four and a human dynamo. He just sweated ideas and he he sweated energy and he was very charismatic. Howard Markell is a history professor at the University of Michigan. He's the author of The Kellogg's, The Battling Brothers of Battle Creek. John Harvey Kellogg considered his food inventions, as well as his other inventions, to be his gifts to humankind. He invented them, he created them for a world that was to be healthier. But his main uh, inspiration, uh, he was going to make the world a healthier place. Kellogg had a prodigious intellect, an encyclopedic memory, and a big ego. He was obsessed with cleanliness. He wore a three-piece white suit with matching shirt, ties, socks, and shoes virtually everywhere he went. He encouraged his patients to eliminate unhealthy foods from their diet and replace them with his inventions, early substitutes for coffee, meat, and other foods. Michael Crondall is a culinary historian and author of Sweet Invention. He was both an inventor, a administrator of a sanatorium, a bit of a showman. He was notorious for wearing only white, uh, riding around uh, Battle Creek on a bicycle with a parrot on his shoulder. 
and wrote many, many books, which sold um, in the tens, if not the hundreds of thousands. In 1876, Dr. Kellogg took over as the director of the Battle Creek Sanitarium, a spa and health resort overlooking rolling hills and meadows, where Battle Creek meets the Kalamazoo River. It was a beautiful place that people came primarily to learn about health, to learn about the healthy way of living. And that was his brand, uh, and he protected it fiercely. There were gymnasia, there were uh, uh, concert halls, there were uh, theater groups there, there was uh, all sorts of exercise devices and all sorts of outdoor activities. Eating in the dining room of the Battle Creek Sanitarium was an adventure. It was part of the medical tourism. Um, you were seated at tables with other interesting people. Like department store magnate J.C. Penney or civil rights leader Booker T. Washington, decades ahead of its time, both guests and staff at the sanitarium were racially integrated. The good doctor would circulate through the dining room like the host of a large daily banquet. For a special fee, he would dine with you. And the foods you were eating were all exciting and brought out in a very uh, showman-like manner. Kellogg created healthier food substitutes for his patients. He invented many foods. He invented a type of peanut butter that was actually the first peanut butter, uh, but it was using uh, boiled uh, peanuts as opposed to roasted peanuts, so it didn't taste as good. Uh, and, and he invented uh, other types of foods, uh, meat substitutes, and other products that uh, uh, people would consume. Dr. Kellogg expanded the spa. He built grand hotels and pavilions. His innovative treatments became legendary. And he invented uh, the first, uh, if you, exercise tape, if you will. They were on 78 RPM records, and he had a brass band uh, behind him, and he would give uh, instructions for people at home to exercise the Kellogg way. So he was a very, very inventive guy. He had uh, mandatory workouts. He actually recorded um, on the Victrola, he recorded workout records. Adam Richman is a television host and author of Straight Up Tasty. He would work out in a thong um, you know, winter or summer. Dr. Kellogg emphasized drinking lots of water and getting lots of fresh air and sunlight. He also wrote many books and articles about healthy eating. And for years, he gave a public lecture every Thursday at the sanitarium. So he had this great reputation, not only as a lecturer and a doctor, but he wrote best-selling books uh, that people used to, to live a healthier uh, way of life. Patients left the resort feeling rejuvenated and well-informed. And so people came from all around the world to the Battle Creek Sanitarium. Battle Creek was still a small town of just 7,000 people, but tens of thousands of visitors came each year to meet the great Dr. Kellogg. There was a giant billboard right at the train station that said, get well in Battle Creek. So people knew about Battle Creek uh, long before uh, the Kellogg Cereal Company made Battle Creek so famous. Patients with a variety of ailments flocked to the sanitarium. They came to be treated for skin diseases, mental health disorders, STDs, and digestive issues. Also celebrities came. They were also attracted by Dr. Kellogg. So famous people like Amelia Earhart, John Philip Sousa, 
uh, Johnny Weissmuller, the MGM Tarzan, Eddie Cantor, the comedian, uh, Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, uh, the list goes on and on. Even presidents Warren Harding and William Howard Taft came to be treated by Dr. Kellogg. He was a very well-known figure. The sanatorium was a magnet for people from all over the country. Food writer Michael Crondall. So the place was packed. It was expensive. It was exclusive. It was one of the spots to go in turn-of-the-century America. And as a souvenir, visitors could purchase Dr. Kellogg's food inventions to take home with them. John Harvey Kellogg was eccentric, but he was no quack. He had a degree from the prestigious Bellevue Medical School in New York. He treated patients at the sanitarium and performed countless operations, more than 20,000 during his career. To his patients, he was the kindly, wonderful doctor who knew everything about them, examined them, and took the time uh, to find out exactly what was wrong with them. And would go to extreme lengths to heal them. Near the end of her life, the great abolitionist Sojourner Truth visited the sanitarium. She had terrible skin ulcers on her arms and legs. Decades later, Dr. Kellogg recalled removing skin from his own arm and grafting it onto her leg. But for the most part, medical knowledge was still in its infancy. The state of medicine or medical practice at the turn of the last century to a modern day observer would be almost primitive. In fact, if you were in medical school, say in 1875, when John Harvey Kellogg went to medical school, you would be far more familiar with Hippocrates and Galen and ancient medical techniques than we are today familiar with what happened, say, 100 years ago. And so there was very little that you could do for patients. And doctors mostly uh, held people's hands and wrote out death certificates if you were very sick. It could be a challenge for doctors to uphold the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. And John Harvey Kellogg saw that the treatments were often worse than the disease. In fact, he talks about that as a medical student when he's uh, in a lecture uh, learning about syphilis and gonorrhea and the bloodletting that was done. And he said, gosh, you know, it's worse to, to be treated than to have the disease. And so he was all about preventive medicine. A very particular brand of preventive medicine one based on Kellogg's own religious faith and his diet. Libby O'Connell is a cultural historian and the author of The American Plate. Dr. John Harvey Kellogg was a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and he believed that diet was conducive to not only a healthy life, but a healthy spirit, and it made you overall a better person. Seventh-day Adventists like Kellogg have strict beliefs about diet that are rooted in the Bible. At the sanitarium, he offered a special diet, very low in meat, high in vegetables, lots of leafy greens, lots of water, um, and whole grains. But he really believed in these whole grains, they would make you sleep better, they would make you feel better. Dr. Kellogg believed that eating meat was dangerous to your health. He also advised his patients to abstain from alcohol, caffeine, and tobacco. These were all notions that he took from his religious belief and then ramped it up as he became an MD to describe the medical uh, uh, benefits of such doing. He called it biologic living. We would call it wellness today. John Harvey Kellogg practiced what he preached. The sanitarium became the repository of both his inventive ideas and his hang-ups. 
No sacrifice was too extreme in his pursuit of healthier living. He was chaste and did not believe in uh, sex outside of the marriage and only for procreation. And not even then. Kellogg and his wife Ella slept in separate bedrooms and likely never consummated their 41-year marriage. Well, he thought that uh, recreational sex sapped the strength, sapped your energy. It was not worth that. And it was also the sinfulness of that that was very much on his mind. Dr. Kellogg had painful personal experience of the effects of dietary overindulgence. As a boy, he suffered from several gastrointestinal disorders. Later, he realized they were made worse by his steady diet of fried meat, fatty lards and gravy, and sugary sweets. He was hardly alone in having such a poor diet. People were often sick because of um, various kinds of bowel and GI issues. Bryant Simon is a history professor at Temple University and author of Everything But the Coffee. You ate what was seasonally available, and you probably ate what was within a day's walk. In 1875, people lived essentially in island communities. What was available in the United States um, was often hard to digest for people. Howard Markell. Dyspepsia, or what I call the great American stomach ache, was extremely common and largely based on the types of foods and the ways they were prepared in America and the amount of food people consume. Americans overate, and they overate poorly cooked food that wasn't healthy for them. And it started with the first meal of the day. What are they eating for breakfast? Well, pretty much everything. Pie, that was normal. Pie was normal, pie for breakfast. Fish cakes, pancakes, sausages, kidneys, smoked kippers, all sorts of things. People ate a hearty breakfast, uh, uh, fried potatoes and last night's fat, uh, salted meats, cured meats, uh, uh, lots of uh, uh, fat, animal fat. And then they ate a big lunch with many courses. Vegetables were almost always creamed, and that was heavy cream, by the way, not milk. So you, can see, you see of all this types of consumption of food, it's no wonder that every American had a stomach ache. They didn't eat well and they ate too much. And John Harvey Kellogg said, you're eating all wrong. This is a terrible way to start your day. We should be eating natural foods, you should be eating grains, you should not be ingesting so much sugar. Now the chief complaint of people coming to the sanitarium was some type of stomach or gastrointestinal problem. And so Dr. Kellogg turned to the sanitarium's kitchen as a means of addressing these complaints. Kellogg and his brother Will produced a vast array of healthy food to offer to guests. And you were introduced to all kinds of foods that were made to not only be healthy, but to taste good. And both John Harvey and his wife Ella insisted that it's not just about eating grains and veg vegetables, it's about how can you make them palatable uh, to the average American. So they'd eat those foods once they left the Battle Creek Sanitarium. One of the innovative medicinal foods that Dr. Kellogg developed was a combination of flour, oatmeal, and cornmeal that had been baked into brittle cakes and smashed into granules. He called it granola. 
particularly in the 1880s, cereal was unknown. There was oatmeal and mush, but these were uh, grains that you boiled for a long period of time uh, to make a hot cereal. But cold cereals was a relatively new concept, and you could splash a little cream on it, a little milk. It was new and exciting. Kellogg's granola was simple and bland, but the doctor hoped his cereal invention would prevent intestinal problems, nervous disorders, and tooth decay, even cure cancer. It was an immediate hit at the sanitarium. His brother Will, who ran the day-to-day business of the sanitarium, set up a little shop just outside uh, the dining room where patients could bring a little bit of Battle Creek home with them. Granola became the Kellogg brothers' bestseller. But Will Kellogg had bigger ambitions. It was Will, not his older brother John, who would take the bland therapeutic and transform it into one of the most beloved products in the world. But not before some serious competition from their former assistant at the sanitarium, C.W. Post. Will, or W.K. Kellogg, ran the day-to-day business of the entire Kellogg enterprise. He also came up with a key concept, adding milk to the cereal. Howard Markell. Will Kellogg is one of the most fascinating people I've ever met in my historical journeys. He grew up uh, as John Harvey's little brother. He was eight years younger. John Harvey was the golden child, the family favorite. Bright, accomplished, gregarious. Will was quiet, shy, and kept to himself. And young John Harvey never missed an opportunity to humiliate his brother. Will Kellogg's greatest memory as a child was his brother warming his cold feet on Will's back during the night. Will endured daily punches, shoves, and stinging verbal blows from his brother. And as they grew up, you know, Will was nearsighted. He sat in the back of the room and he couldn't see. He didn't know he needed glasses till he was 20 years old. But people thought he was dumb. The term was dim-witted. And uh, his parents didn't want to put a lot of investment in his education because they thought, well, he's not worth it. And they said that. So you can imagine the psychological damage that must have done to a young man. Will left home as a teenager to become a traveling salesman. He slept in cheap hotels while his brother gave lectures and entertained celebrities at the sanitarium he ran. In 1880, John Harvey Kellogg knew that the sanitarium needed a business manager. He was bored by such things and didn't want to handle it. And he needed somebody he could not only trust, because there was a great deal of money (laughs) uh, being made at the Battle Creek Sanitarium, but someone he could dominate, and someone who knew what he was doing, and that was Will Kellogg. W.K. Kellogg was not the showman his brother was. He was balding and overweight with thick round eyeglasses but he quickly became the organizing muscle behind the whole sanitarium operation. It did not make his brother treat him any better. Adam Richman. He used to make W.K. take dictation while he was using the toilet. And while he was riding his bike, he would make his brother run behind him and take notes. There was a common and humiliating sight at the sanitarium. The heavyset Will huffing and puffing while the doctor pedaled his high-wheeler bicycle. Well... No wonder Will Kellogg resented John Harvey Kellogg. He seethed with a quiet anger, uh, but he had to take what he was given because that was his job, uh, and he didn't want to lose it. Working for John Harvey Kellogg for 25 years was a life filled with daily humiliation, 
denigration and uh, bad treatment. They had a very contentious relationship. Sarah Wasberg Johnson, a culinary historian and host of the food history podcast, History Bites. But William was really a brilliant businessman. And he was the one who wanted to commercialize this product um, and sell it to a broader audience than just the people who came to visit the sanitarium. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Kellogg brothers continued to experiment with cereals. And through a, a, a series of trials and errors, many, many trials and errors, in their laboratory, they had a food laboratory in the basement of the Battle Creek Sanitarium, both John Harvey and his brother Will created what became cornflakes. They, they created flake cereal. One story goes that a batch of wheat cereal dough had been left out overnight and had started to spoil. It was rolled out into a sheet in an attempt to salvage it. When they rolled that out very thin and then baked it, they were able to scrape it off into tiny, perfect flakes. It was a eureka-like moment. Adam Richman. Cornflakes was an accident. An accident. People forget that it was an accident, that they were trying to create a cereal and trying to do it with wheat initially. They had it on the press. It didn't work, they were called away on business, they came back to the press, a type of mold had formed uh, on the mash, and uh, the actual press was stuck, and then a couple of cranks and it flaked up. And you stop and you think, what if they didn't leave? What if they just disposed of what had gotten moldy? Will Kellogg worked to perfect their new discovery. And he felt, well, first of all, corn is a lot cheaper than wheat. It also tastes better. And he added a little bit of malt and a little bit of salt uh, to make it taste better. And that became cornflakes, their greatest invention. He also added another key ingredient. So one of the things that uh, Will Kellogg realized was that these flakes were really bland. They had virtually no flavor. And so what do you do about that? So he thought, okay, we'll add sugar. And that seemed to help a great deal. He added in sugar that J.H. Kellogg absolutely forbade at the Battle Creek Sanitarium. So suddenly it was sweet, it was crunchy, it was a flake, all the things that all of the traditional sanitarium food wasn't. Cornflakes was born, 
They were a sensation at the Battle Creek Sanitarium in the early years of the 20th century. John Harvey Kellogg's patients couldn't get enough of them. The cereal didn't cure cancer, but it was the start of an endeavor that would turn Kellogg into a household name and launch a $37 billion industry. The Kelloggs had an assistant in the sanitarium kitchen, one of the patients. His name was C.W. Post, and he had a history of business failures as well as ill health. C.W. Post is a really interesting character. Michael Crondall again. He starts off in um, Illinois with a, a farm machine business, uh, then moves on to Texas and tries a whole bunch of other different kinds of businesses at which he mostly fails. and. He seems to have digestive problems throughout his life. And eventually things get so bad that he decides to check into the Battle Creek Sanatorium at the age of 37. Howard Markell. He had indigestion, dyspepsia, auto-intoxication, and what we might call a nervous breakdown on many levels. So he was a broken man when he came to Battle Creek with his wife to try to regain his health. But Post couldn't afford a room at the sanitarium. So at this point, he's broke. He is paying for his room and board, apparently, with some blankets that were left over from one of his failed businesses. His wife is wheeling him in a wheelchair from some rooming house to the sanatorium because he can't actually afford to stay in the sanatorium, which is a fairly luxurious enterprise at the time. Post became a day patient. But to even pay for those rates, he worked in the experimental kitchen, uh, helping uh, Will with his recipes, and he wrote down many of the recipes. And Charlie Post left the sanitarium and started his own cereal company, just outside Battle Creek. In just a few years, Post cereal had made him a millionaire. His former boss, Will Kellogg, could only watch from the sidelines. Then disaster struck at the sanitarium. One night in February of 1902, a fire broke out, and it started in the pharmacy and quickly spread. The sanitarium was a large complex with glassed-in corridors, beautiful rooms, and an attractive brick veneer. But like so many buildings of the time, it was made mostly of wood. There were all sorts of tunnels and byways, and of course, there was timber everywhere. And the place burned down in a matter of hours to mere rubble. John Harvey Kellogg wasn't even Battle Creek that night. He was coming in from a West Coast lecture tour, and he was asked as he got off at the Chicago station to stretch his legs and get a newspaper. He said, Doctor, uh, will you rebuild the sanitarium? He said, what are you talking about? He said, it burnt to the ground. And, you know, he kept a good stern front. He said, of course we'll rebuild it. And he got into the train and he realized that his baby, his creation, had burned to the ground and he later wrote, my heart sank. I, I just was so desolate. A patient was killed in the blaze and John Harvey Kellogg's life's work was left in smoldering ashes. Rebuilding the facility would cost over $1 million, some $30 million today. John needed money and fast. His brother Will, on the other hand, saw an opportunity in the sanitarium's ashes. Next week on The Food That Built America, Will Kellogg takes cornflakes to the world. Will Kellogg saw C.W. Post's success and thought, well, 
we were here first, we should be able to do it just as well, if not better. And vows to take down the man who beat him to market. Will Kellogg hated Charlie Post for stealing his ideas. Even if it means destroying his own family. These two brothers, they both lived into their 90s and they never spoke to one another. In the end, he will leave behind a company that today is worth nearly $20 billion. And just as Walt Disney uh, knew that his whole empire was built upon a mouse, Mickey Mouse, Will's Mickey Mouse was cornflakes. That was his baby. Battle Creek is the birthplace of the American breakfast. This episode of the Food That Built America podcast was written and produced by Sean Braswell, Maeve McGoran, and Julia Linus Goodman. Latoya Tool, Cecily Meza Martinez, and Iorio Digiziwa also produced. Jesse Katz, Jim Pascarella, and Mary Donahue were executive producers. Sound designed by Chris Hoff. Special thanks to McKamey Lynn and Tracy Moran. The Food That Built America was originally produced by Lucky 8 TV for the History Channel. Please make sure to subscribe to The Food That Built America on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more great history podcasts, check out History This Week from History or Flashback from Ozzy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.